Okay, our passage today will be taken from Acts chapter 6, verse 8 to 15. As we continue in the book of Acts, you could follow along from the screen behind me and also from your phones. Uh, feel free to do either one. Let me read it out loud for us. Acts chapter 6, verse 8 to 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia, Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Thus says the Lord. Father, may you bring your truth and impress him upon our hearts eternally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so friends, we're continuing in our series of the book of Acts, and we continue to see here how their, how their early church started and, and grew, how it became bigger and bigger. And today, we're at the second half of Acts chapter 6, and we just read of a guy named Stephen. But to really understand our passage today, we got to do a quick recap on the first half of Acts chapter 6 from last Sunday. So if you could stick with me here a bit as we do that. Okay, if you remember last week... We saw that as the early church grew, we also started, they also started to have internal problems, right? We, we, we saw that there are two groups of people in the church that had tension with one another. And who were they? They were the Hellenists. The Hellenists were Jews that were born and raised outside of Jerusalem, okay? But then they returned back to Jerusalem. And the Hebrews. The Hebrews were Jews also, but they were born and raised in Jerusalem and they never left. Okay, so there's conflict in that city between the Hellenist returnees and the Hebrew locals. And this cultural tension seeped its way into the church. So the apostles appointed seven people from within the church, who, as we saw last week in verse 3, were filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom to help solve this problem. Okay, and here's a connection to our passage today. Stephen, the guy we just read about, he's one of those seven people. He came from the Hellenist returnee group. Okay, that's an important detail to know for now. He's a Hellenist returnee. And out of the seven people assigned to this task in the beginning of Acts chapter 6, it did seem like, by the way it's written, Stephen was kind of one of the more notable ones. Okay? And our passage today really is just about how Stephen, someone who was filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, lived his life. There's a lot of speculation out there today about what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I think our passage here today clarifies it. Okay, Stephen here is an ideal of sorts of someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we see at least three things that marked him, which will be our three points for today. One, someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom will identify primarily with the people of Christ. Two, they will see the real reason why people reject Christ. And three, they'll possess overwhelming peace in Christ. Okay, they will identify primarily with the people of Christ. They'll see the real reason why people reject Christ and they'll possess overwhelming peace in Christ. Let's begin our first point. 
Someone filled with the Holy Spirit will identify primarily with the people of Christ. Look at verse 8, our very first verse. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Okay, so Stephen here is described in two ways. First, he was full of grace and power. Second, he was doing wonders and signs. Now, the reason why Luke, our author, described Stephen in these two ways is to associate Stephen closely with the apostles. Okay, because if you read the book of Acts, you'll see over and over and over again that the apostles are always described as being full of grace and power and always going around doing great wonders and signs. Those are the two things that marked them, the apostles. Okay, so the Hellenist returnee Stephen here is being closely associated with the apostles who, if you remember, were Hellenist or Hebrew? Hebrew. They were Hebrew locals. Okay, so do you see what the author is trying to say here? He's trying to say that the power of the Holy Spirit united two different people, two demographics of people who's been fighting in that city for ages, by the way, to one another under the cross. That's, what, that's the point here, verse 8. But stick with me, because then if you look at verse 9, what you see is a contrast. That yes, the gospel united the Hellenist returnee Stephen with the Hebrew local apostles together. However, at the same time, it also separated Stephen from his own non-Christian Hellenist community. Where do we see that? Well, if you look at verse 9, you'll see five groups of people there who rose up against Stephen. That's what it said, right? And guess where they all came from? They're all Hellenist communities. If you read it again, you'll see, verse 9, the, the, the Cyrenians there, they were Jews that were born in North Africa. The Alexandrians, they were Jews that were born in Egypt. The Sicilians, they were Jews that were born in northern Mediterranean. And the Asians here, they were Jews that, was, that were born in Asia Minor, also known today as modern-day Turkey. Okay, so these are all Jews born abroad, lived abroad. They all came back to Jerusalem. They all made Hellenist communities there. And Stephen was one of them. Do you see the picture being painted here? The gospel here is displayed as having this dual effect. In one hand, it united Stephen with his new family in Christ, although they came from totally different backgrounds. But on the other hand, it separated Stephen from his old non-believing community, although they had the same exact background. Now, just to be clear, this passage isn't saying that when you become a Christian, you got to cut, cut ties with your old communities and you got to cut ties with your, with your old family. Not at all, no, okay? Notice here, Stephen was not the one who removed himself from his Hellenist community. If you look at the end of verse 9, it says that they were the ones who rose up and disputed against Stephen, okay? They were the ones who pushed him out. So we got to remember that God isn't calling this in us in this passage here to become separatists. That's not the point here. But what God is telling us from this passage is that if your heart has been regenerated by Christ, as we read in our statement of faith earlier, it's been effectually called, if your heart today currently beats for Christ because of what he did for you on that cross, and if you're committed to following him all your days, there may come a time when people in your earthly family and community whose hearts do not beat for Christ, who are not following Christ, may not fully understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, 
And there may come a time where they even put you on the chopping block for following Christ and for viewing life through gospel lenses. That's the point here. Now, best case scenario, your family and your old community are, were also, are also Christians, right? They're also following Christ. Their hearts also beat for Christ. If that's the case, then praise the Lord. That is a rare thing. Not many people have that. I, I didn't necessarily have that growing up. And they won't persecute you. They'll actually spur you on in your walk with Christ, which is great. And to be honest, even if they're not Christians, you know, most of the time, because they love you and because they care for you, the pushback wouldn't be as dramatic as what we just read in the passage today. You know, they'll probably throw small jabs and comments here and there. They'll probably send some random WhatsApp messages to your family WhatsApp group, you know, throwing jabs at Christianity, Yoda, whatever, you know, just let that go. That's probably what mostly happens. But I have heard from some of you that you did actually get kicked out of the house for following Christ. Like that's actually happened here in our congregation. Some of you have actually lost inheritance. I'm thinking of names and faces right now as I'm speaking. Some of you have also been disowned because your heart beats for Christ. Now, let me just say this again, okay, this is important. Remember, Stephen was not rejected by his old community because of his lack of character or because he was being rude and he was being this disrespectful kind of separatist kind of guy. No, last week we read that Stephen had a great reputation in his community. What Stephen's old community couldn't handle wasn't Stephen. It was the light of Christ that was in him. In verse 9, it says that the Hellenist community disputed Stephen. That's an awkward Greek word, actually, to use in that sentence. But Luke, our author, still used that word. They disputed against Stephen. Why? Because it's the same Greek word used to describe what the Pharisees did to Jesus in the Gospels 12 different times. They disputed Jesus. They disputed Jesus. They disputed Jesus. The same word. The point here is Luke's trying to tell us that although externally, yes, this looks like a battle between Stephen's old community and Stephen, but actually when you pull back the curtains, what you'll see behind the curtain is that this is actually a battle between the kingdom of darkness and the light of Christ. Just like how a sleeping man would rise up against open curtains that let the sun in, so does Stephen's old community rise up against him. What Stephen's old community couldn't handle wasn't Stephen. He had great character, have great character. It was the spirit of Christ they saw in him. I do realize how scary of a statement that is to make from up here, especially preaching in an Asian context. I can be canceled for saying stuff like that because we value family here, and that's a good thing. That's a great thing. We should treasure family. No one's saying we shouldn't. The Bible isn't saying we shouldn't. But do you remember the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19? Remember Jesus was talking to him, and he asked Jesus, what must I do to go to heaven? And Jesus said, you, you got to let go all of your treasures. Let go all of your treasures. Come follow me. And he wasn't willing to. He left sad. If you, if you read on in Matthew 19, you know what Jesus says just a few verses later after that conversation? He told his disciples, truly I say unto you, 
Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. And the readers are here thinking, hold on a second, I thought you were just talking to the rich young ruler about leaving their, his treasures, his money. When did all this become about family? Why are you not talking about family? Well, friends, because sometimes our most treasured possessions aren't silver and gold, are they? As Christians, we're called to be a healing, redeeming presence in our old communities, in our, in our old families. We have to be that. We cannot be separatists. But if there does come a time where the light of the gospel makes the people in our community uncomfortable to where they rise up against you and I for his name, my prayer is that Christ would remain your greatest treasure above all things, and that you would count all as loss for the sake of knowing him. Now, as we move on to our second point, we see here why Stephen's old community was so enraged about his decision to follow Christ. Why can't they just let him be? Can there's a deeper issue here going on, we see, than just the intellect, okay? And, and a person who's filled with the spirit and wisdom, they'll see that, and they'll know how to respond to it accordingly. All right, so let's go to our second point. Someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom will see the real reason of why people reject Christ. <clears throat> All right, let's take a look at the interaction between the Hellenist community, Stephen's old Hellenist community, and, and Stephen, how it developed, okay? Take a look at verse 10. It says that the Hellenist community could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking, okay? So they both started with speaking. That's great, okay? We should be able to dialogue about disagreements. That's, that's a healthy thing, to converse, to reason, to have discourse. That's great. But then verse 10 says, the Hellenist community couldn't withstand the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that was in Stephen, meaning Stephen knew the Bible so well and Stephen knew the kind of cultural pushbacks against the gospel at the time so well that they couldn't handle it, okay? Uh, they, they couldn't push back against it. Now, we're not told here about the actual conversation, about what that looked like, but based on the rest of chapter 7, if you read it later, it's safe to assume that most likely the conversation that happened there was somewhere about the relationship between God's law in the Old Testament and God's grace through Christ in the New Testament. Okay, that's probably what the conversation was about. The Hellenists were all about Old Testament law. You see that in chapter 7 in the way Stephen rebukes them. Okay, and they're probably pinning Old Testament law with New Testament grace. So the conversation, again, I'm speculating here, I don't know, but it probably went something like this. Hellenist. Stephen, how could you say that we're saved by grace alone when God gave our fathers the Ten Commandments? You remember that? And Stephen probably responded, yes. But when did God give our fathers the Ten Commandments? Was it before or after he freed them from Egypt? Well, it was after he freed them from Egypt. Okay, so Hellenist, you're saying that God freed our fathers first from Egypt and then later gave them the Ten Commandments to obey. Yes. So they were freed before they obeyed a single command. Yes. So was it by grace or was it by obedience to the law? Hellenist. 
Stephen, God commanded Abraham to get circumcised in Genesis 17. So it can't be by grace alone. See, Genesis 17 says it. It was by his obedience to the law of circumcision. Stephen responds, okay. But when did God first call Abraham to himself initially? Genesis 12. And when did you say God told him to get circumcised? Genesis 17. So you're saying that God called Abraham to himself first in chapter 12 and then commanded him to be circumcised in chapter 17. I guess. So was he saved because he was circumcised or because of God's grace alone? And they couldn't withstand his wisdom. Stephen knew the scriptures well. He knew how to answer the cultural pushbacks at the day well. And the Hellenist could not withstand his wisdom. He showed them that ever since the Old Testament, grace has always come first. It's no different than the New Testament. And look at what the Hellenists did in verses 11 to 13. Because they couldn't withstand Stephen's wisdom, they set up false witnesses against Stephen, and they secretly instigated men in the crowd who said, Stephen hates Moses, Stephen hates God, Stephen hates the temple, and the Old Testament law. You ever heard that pushback? Oh, so nice to be Christian, you can just sin and you're saved. The gospel, taken out of context, edited, exaggerated, and used against him. And by the way, back then, to be charged to be speaking against Moses and the law in the temple, that was a capital crime, punishable by stoning to death, which you will see happen at the end of chapter 7 to Stephen. And we're thinking, why go so far? Why would Stephen's old community go so far? Weren't they just talking? Wasn't this just discourse about Old Testament interpretation? Why did it get so violent? Well, because there's a deeper issue at play here. What deeper issue? A commentator of the book of Acts explains it well. He said that any threat to the temple back then was not only an offense to the Hellenist religious feelings, but also a threat to their livelihood. The economic life of the city and its residents depended on the temple. You got to know the temple back then, this whole system they have set up, it provided job security for a lot of people. It provided a steady weekly routine for many families, a steady weekly routine which then produced an emotional sense of stability in the culture. It gave some kind of moral compass for the city, the temple, and, and their laws. They were the city's very identity and, and heartbeat. This isn't just an academic discussion. There's a lot at stake here. Think about the kind of cultural demolition that would have to happen back then if the Hellenists and the scribes and the Pharisees all admitted that the gospel is true, that we are actually saved by Christ through faith, by grace alone, and not by my obedience to the law. Think about the kind of cultural shifts that would take place. Think about the kind of cultural shifts that would have to happen in our city today. If it were to undergo the same thing, if, if our city admitted that the gospel was true, and that Christ truly was a son of God who died for our sins, and there's no way to get to God but through him. Certain jobs would be obsolete. <laughs> you, you see how big of a deal this is? Certain temples will be no more. Whole political parties would actually crumble. 
it's not just an academic discourse. It's an emotional one. It's a financial one. It's a structural one. And it's ultimately a, a, a spiritual one. You see, a wise person who's filled with the spirit and wisdom wouldn't be so naive to think that as long as I can just counter-argue well, it's a done deal. It's not. It's not. This battle goes much deeper than just the head. Stephen knew that, and it gave him strength to be calm and collected. It's almost like he wasn't surprised by it when the Hellenists kind of responded violently, okay, which leads us to our last point. A person that's filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom will possess overwhelming peace in Christ despite intense persecution. Let's go to verse 15. The Hellenists here were, you know, threatening Stephen with death threats. But in the midst of all that, they couldn't notice something about Stephen. Look at the end of verse 15. It says that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, that doesn't mean that he had a halo around him when he was talking to them. It doesn't mean that his face was glittering or, or, or something like that. A commentator noted about this, and this is what he said. This was not the mild, gentle look that is often seen in paintings of angels, nor the fierce look of an avenging angel, but a look that speaks of inspiration within, clear eyes burning with inner light. Stephen, in the midst of persecution, had clear eyes burning with inner light. He was at peace. Why? Because he knew this whole conversation goes deeper than just an academic level and because he knew that the Spirit was in him. Last thing I want to point out for this passage, there's, a, there's an irony here that the author is trying to show us, okay? Stephen here was falsely accused by the Hellenists to be attacking the temple of God that they believe contained the Spirit of God, right? Do you see the irony here? The Spirit of God wasn't in the temple. Where was he? He was in Stephen. So who's the one really attacking the Spirit of God here? Stephen or the Hellenists? The Hellenists were. Stephen's innocent. And he was burning with inner light. Why? Because he knew that. He knew the Spirit was in him. He knew that the same power that resurrected Christ from the grave dwells in him. And because of that, he knew no matter how sharp that sword is and no matter how big that rock is, death has lost its sting. And what can anyone do now to the one in whom the Spirit of Christ has descended upon? Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor future, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in our creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he stood there he stood there, brimming with light in the face of his own community, wanting him dead for following Christ. That, friends, is a picture of someone who's filled with the Spirit. They feel drawn and connected to the people of Christ, even when they come from totally different backgrounds. They know how to respond to questions biblically. They know the Bible well. They study it. But they're also unsurprised when people come back at them violently. They remain at peace, calm and collected amidst persecution because they're certain that the power that resurrected Christ from the grave lives and dwells in them. And they too will go through what Christ did in his resurrection. What a picture 
What a picture of a person that's filled with the Spirit. Now, we all see this by Stephen, and we're thinking to ourselves, wow, like, am I even a Christian? Because <laughs> we see this, and we're like, how can I ever be like this? I'm nothing like Stephen. Calm and collected during persecution. I'm not even calm and collected when the Gojek driver's late with my lunch. I can't be like that. What are you talking about? How can the Spirit ever come and reside in someone like me? Here, friends, is when we have to remember that grace, remember, ever since the Old Testament to now, grace always comes first. Stephen didn't earn the Holy Spirit because he was like this. Stephen first received the Holy Spirit, and then he slowly became more and more like this. So the question is then, what made Stephen worthy of the Holy Spirit in the first place? Well, it's the same thing that made you and I worthy of the Spirit. The blood of Christ. That's washed us clean. Christian, the second you received Christ as Lord and Savior, you have had since then dwelling within you, living within you, the same power and potential growth that Stephen had in him. No matter how young you are in the faith, no matter how old and bored you've gotten about the gospel, many of us here are there, no matter how low and discouraged you might currently be in life because of what things are throwing your way, no matter how much your emotional frequency may fail to sense it, you have been stamped with an eternal seal and the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave now lives within you. The second you trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He's there. Grace always comes first. Are you sitting here today and do you feel unable to associate with your brothers and sisters in Christ like Stephen did here? Perhaps even feel annoyed by them often. That's okay. We're just now getting out of this quarantine season. It makes sense why we may feel a little bit estranged. But remember, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So take steps. Get coffee with them. Associate with them. Even though they may come from a different background than you. That's one. Second, do you feel intimidated studying the Bible? To know it like Stephen did here? To be able to speak with people in this culture that's speaking against it? Don't be intimidated. Do you realize the Bible, yes, is a complicated book, but do you realize that the spirit in which inspired the authors who then wrote the Bible, that same spirit lives in you. <laughs> you have amazing potential to understand the gospel, even well beyond academics who don't have the spirit in them. Open it up. Read it for yourselves. Get to know it. Third, you have a hard time forgiving others who treated you unjustly like Stephen did here. That's okay. It's hard for me as well. Just remember that the spirit of the guy who kept his mouth shut as he was led to the cross lives in you. You'll get there. Just keep going. He's in you. Give it some time. Wherever you are right now in your walks with Christ, I hope you see this passage today and you're encouraged as you see the light of Christ, the spirit in Stephen's life. And as you remember and know, he's in you too. You have been stamped with the spirit. Keep going. And hopefully, 
the Lord will grow us all into his likeness more and more so that we can be a church filled with people who are filled with the Spirit and display the glory of Christ even amidst whatever pushbacks we may have to keep meek and lowly and love him as Christ loved us. Let's pray. Father, may the Spirit of Christ that you've sent to dwell within us remind us right now, today, as we worship and gather together in person, of just how much Christ treasures us. And Father, we pray that the same Spirit in turn would ignite us to treasure him back above even all of our greatest treasures here on earth, that you may receive the inheritance of nations in which you have died for. Use us, Lord, as you please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.